Good morning, all. I'm sorry for the lighting here in the dungeon, but it is the coolest corner in our house that does not have AC right now. Um, right now, being perhaps we'll be looking forward to this if uh, if these kind of events keep happening. So I'm doing uh, the lectio this morning, and. Uh, I'm going to use uh, just two verses from Psalm 139, and I'm just going to focus on two words from these verses, which I will tell you after I've read them. You, Creator God, created the deepest parts of my being. You put me together inside my mother's body. How you made me is amazing and wonderful. I praise you for that. What you have done is wonderful. I know that very well. So the two words that I want us to focus on this morning are amazing and wonderful. So let's do that and start with finding a meeting place with Jesus. So if you could meet with Jesus anywhere this morning, where would that be? It can be somewhere that you have physically been before or somewhere you would love to go and can only imagine. So take a moment to settle into that scene with Jesus. So within that meeting place, we're gonna ask a question. Um, but I'm going to preempt something that might happen for you. I want you to put away your displeasure with the question that I ask or any objections to the answers you hear. I just want you to listen to what Jesus is saying is wonderful and awesome about you and then hold on to what Jesus said. So let's ask him a question. And I already said it. Jesus, how am I amazing and wonderful. I I love how this passage leads us uh, to understand that accepting that we are awesome and wonderful or amazing and wonderful is good. And it leads us into praising and connecting with God. So I wanna give you a moment to express your gratitude to God for how you have been made and take in all the wonder of this miracle that that is you. And now I want to tell you why this is so important to understand and accept. My amazingness does not have to contend with your amazingness. We are all amazing. 
But if I'm not aware or accepting of my value, I may not be able to value your unique amazingness. If I'm secure in how I've been made without needing everyone else to be made the same, then I can appreciate the complexity of all human beings and celebrate the uniqueness of everyone. So I'm just gonna read the passage one more time. You, creator God, created the deepest parts of our being. You put each of us together inside of our mother's body. How you made us is amazing and wonderful. We praise you for that. What you have done is wonderful. We know that full well. I'll just encourage you to take what you have heard this morning, what's amazing and wonderful about you and share it with somebody today. And then ask them the same question and celebrate with them. Thank you, Eden. You are amazing and wonderful. Um, we are going to celebrate communion together. So if you would like to grab your elements, these are called sacraments. And the word sacrament um, is a Latin translation of a Greek word for mystery. So there's so much going on in communion that we have no idea about. But there's something powerful in doing it together. And I love that we get to do this together each Sunday. So um, everybody want to grab your... Uh, grab your elements. The beauty of this is that this is Jesus's table and I'm uh, I'm not even the gatekeeper I'm just sort of the I'm like the usher at the door I guess just saying come in you are welcome um I'm not even the usher at the door maybe I just kick the door open I don't know I I'm just gonna get out of the way because this is Jesus's table he is inviting you to come the table of bread is now to be made ready it is the table of company with Jesus and all who love him it's the table of sharing with the poor of the world with whom Jesus identified himself. It's the table of communion with the earth in which Christ became incarnate. So come to this table, you who have faith and you who would like to have more. You who have been here often and you who've not been for, it for a while, or maybe this is your first time here. Everyone is welcome. You who have tried to follow Jesus and you who have failed, come. It is Christ that invites us to meet him here. Loving God, through your goodness, we have bread and juice to offer, which has come forth from the earth and human hands have made. May we know your presence in the sharing of it so that we might know your touch and presence in all things. We celebrate the life that Jesus has shared among his community through the centuries and shares with us here and now, made one in Christ and one with each other. We offer these gifts and with them ourselves, a single living act of praise. For yours is the seed and yours is the growth. Yours is the water, yours is the thirst. Yours the wild and yours the tame. You are within us, God, and within all creation and you mm -hmm. are beyond. Shape and fill us this day and all creation with your grace. Let's eat and drink together.
God, I thank you that all are welcome. I thank you that you are the one that invites us all to the table, that you come meet with us as we remember you, that you put us back together. Mm. Thank you, God, for who you are. Amen. Amen. And God, I thank you for Steve and what he's got to share this morning. And I pray that you give him joy in doing it. Amen. <laughs> it's all you. Karen and I will try not to heckle. <laughs> no, no, please promises. do. It's interesting, isn't it? As soon as I step up to speak, everyone just disappears from beside <laughs> me. I don't, I don't know what happened there. But I'm fortunate to have my live, live audience, which is one of those weird things about Zoom world. <laughs> You know, you, you're sort of looking at people in little boxes and then it feels like you're talking down a hole, but hopefully you get the point. Anyway, good morning. Um, I'm grateful for this opportunity to speak to you this morning. Um, I've done it before uh, in various places over the years, but never as far as I can remember in a community that I've been part of. So uh, thank you for inviting me. Maybe the second invitation is more significant than the first. Um, <laughs> My hope this morning is to uh, speak to you under the title, uh, Different by Design. This title comes from a song by a band called Casting Crowns called City on a Hill. Uh, some of you may have had a chance to listen to it ahead of time. If not, don't worry, I'm going to play it, uh, the song for us at the end of the message as we wrap it up. My sense is that this song uh, speaks to some important issues for us as a church community. It also speaks uh, to perceptions of our own humanity and the differences we observe in our everyday lives with each other. The themes in this song um, are reflective of Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians 12 from the passage. Oh, I said we just read, which we didn't read. Um, Jeff, do you want to read that now for us quickly? Sure, can do. Um... I can even share it with us if you'd like. Hmm. Let's do that here. Because I'm now good at sharing my screen. Yeah. See, I just made my first technological boo-boo this morning. <laughs> <laughs> um, it might be a little small. My apologies. First mm -hmm. Corinthians 12, 12 to 26. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not the eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as God wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, 
giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. May the body of Christ be honored. Amen. Thanks, Jeff. That's great. So the theme in the song we'll get to eventually uh, is reflective of this teaching in 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, One of the major themes of Paul's first epistle to the church in Corinth is unity, not uniformity within the body of Christ. So if we take unity, not uniformity and different by design, and we conceive of there being intentionality in the act of creation, we can perhaps begin to understand why we are all so very different, why we need each other precisely for that reason. It's true that our differences can become reasons why we might find it difficult to coexist. But the more I look at the human condition, and particularly my own humanity, the more I see the importance of interdependence rather than independence. Unfortunately, independence has become deified in our modern North American concept of autonomy. So, for those of you that don't know me, um, and I guess that's an increasing number with all the changes that have come about in our community in the last 15 months. My name is Steve Mitchinson. I'm husband to Karen, father to Josh, who's living in Toronto, and also to Amy, who moved back from Halifax uh, just before the pandemic and is currently living in Abbotsford. I work as a palliative care physician in Abbotsford Hospital and have been a songwriting worship leader within the Anglican Church of the Vineyard and here at the bridge for a total of some 25 years. What do you do during a pandemic? Um, Well, I started studying for my master's in theology at St. Stephen's University in New Brunswick a year ago. And this is the fulfillment of a journey that started in my heart some 40 years ago at the age of 18. I'd wondered about studying theology and entering the Anglican ministry or going to medical school. The decision went with medicine and for that uh, was the path for my subsequent career. So you could say that this morning's message has been 40 years in the making. Now that might not be 40 years of improvement, uh, but like Moses, who's been a traveling companion of mine, it has been 40 years of character formation. Um, So back to the studying. I realized ahead of my recent studies, there were lots of things I didn't know. The main revelation so far has been how much I didn't know. I've realized how many misconceptions I've had about God for a very long time. I've also realized that there have been some very smart people uh, throughout all of church history that have wrestled with some important questions and I haven't managed to find agreement or definitive answers to a lot of questions. So to me, that suggests we may not be able to fully understand a lot of things in our limited human wisdom. I believe it's important that we try our best to understand where we can, but we do need to be careful in our certainty when we think we do know and learn to become more comfortable with mystery, mostly because there's more mystery around than we would generally like to acknowledge. This for me has become an increasingly comfortable thought and the upside of a God who is described as ineffable, which simply means too great to be expressed or described in words. And I think that for me is the very definition of mystery. So I've come to realize that there are people in the world who are pretty much better at everything than me. I'm not sure if you can relate to this. It's taken me some 58 years to acknowledge, not just that it's true, but to make peace with the concept. 
our society tells us um, we can do anything and be anything we want. I think our own life experience, and for that matter, any episode of American Idol will tell us that's probably not true. <laughs> the truth is, I've been consistently average at many things over my lifetime, and that preaching might just be the latest addition to a very long list. <laughs> the jury's out. Don't put anything in the, te the text, I don't wanna know. <laughs> um, I've been an average guitar player, singer, drummer, surfer, bike rider over the years. I've been a very much below average hockey player and maybe an above average doctor and songwriter. I've tried to be the best husband that I can and fortunately the story is still being written. <laughs> now I'm not saying any of this to be self-effacing, simply to acknowledge that I have been created as a unique individual in the image of the creator and I'm better at some things than others. Because someone is more successful than me at something doesn't invalidate me or my contribution. All any of us can be is the best version of ourselves and then seek to live as that truest version, acknowledging our uniqueness and, and our weaknesses. I've heard this described as uh, the gift of ordinariness. What if I allow myself to conceive that I'm not exceptional, but that I am unique and seek to live in the very fullness of who I was created to be? What would this look like and how would it affect the way that I live? It's one thing for us to accept our uniqueness, quite another to love who we are within it. My point is this, I'm not you and you're not me and neither of us should want it to be any different. God made us in a particular way and this was part of his plan. Jesus tells us in Luke 12, 7 that the very hairs of our heads are all numbered. In my case, less by the day. Um, and in Psalm 139, um, that he created my innermost beings and knit me together in my mother's womb, as we heard a version of that that uh, Eden was sharing earlier. So both these images are metaphors for God knowing us intimately and being part of our creation. He could have said, I know you in your DNA and in the very core of your subatomic structure. Though in Iron Age Israel and first century Palestine, he went with metaphors that would have been better understood. We are as individual as our DNA and we've been created that way by design. By the way, there's a good chance that God doesn't call it DNA. It's just the best explanation we've come up with so far what he's done. So, appearing in front of me should be a picture. Here it comes. Awesome. Look at that. We don't have very far to look for evidence of diversity in creation. Just looking out the window, we'll start the ball rolling. One of my favorite things to do in the morning is to read with my cup of tea and watch the bird, uh, all the birds on our bird feeder. Not only are there many different types of birds, but there are also many variations in plumage within one type of bird. Also that they, these birds have very different patterns of behavior. We can expand this discussion to fish. If you've ever put on a mask and snorkeled over a reef, you'll know that there's a myriad of different types of fish, different shapes, different sizes and colors. This is one of Karen's favorite things to do. Um, in the absence of knowing what the fish is called, she names them herself, which is also fun. So there's, there's, a, there's a, a long fish 
um, I think it's called a pipefish in Hawaii. And um, so that one became Mr. Long, for an example. Um, the fish, these fish, uh, some of them look beautiful. Some of them will sting you and some of them will eat you given the chance. That's my biggest fear as a surfer is what might come out of the depths. And, uh, but that's my problem, not yours. Okay. Um, we can look up in the trees and see that in BC, there's lots of them. And there are recognizable species of trees, but no two trees, even of the same species are quite the same. There are many zebras, but I understand that the stripes of no two zebras are the same. They're different by design. Now, like all good human behavior, we assume that every animal sees the world the way we do. We all saw a fascinating documentary here by David Attenborough called The World in Color. And they're using new camera technology to explore the hypothesis about how animals see the world. And it turns out that some animals can see parts of the light spectrum that we can't, including UV light. So the world to them looks very different. Now, you may have wondered why any good predator such as a tiger would be orange. You would think um, that would be a distinct disadvantage. But it turns out that antelope, which are its primary food source, can't see red colors. So tigers appear green to them. Thus, camouflage works, and the tiger remains hidden in the long grass. Works for the tiger, sucks for the antelope. <laughs> I don't know, you can take that one up with the creator one day. Um, so given this level of diversity in creation, there's a reasonable chance uh, that God as creator is into it. Um, the pinnacle of all creation is not the mountains, the lakes, or the stunning beauty of our magnificent sunset. It's you and me. We're perhaps happy to acknowledge that our DNA or our fingerprints are, are unique, but not that each of us is completely unique individual created in the image of God. We have recognizable similarities to other humans, but we're not the same. It's only the voice of tribalism and imperialism that says you're not like me, so I don't see you. I'm not supposed to be like you. This was how I was made and you need me for that reason, as I do you. Okay, so this next bit comes with a big word alert. For those of you who don't like these big words, you can look them up later. Um, and I'm gonna take a big breath before I start this one. Over the centuries, we've come up with many ways of answering the question, what are we looking at when we look at creation? For instance, theism says, yes, there is a God. Atheism says, no, there isn't a God. Theism says there is a God who created the world, but is not involved in its day-to-day -day running. Pantheism says everything we see is God, so creation is God. Panentheism says creation and God are of separate substance, but that God is in all things creating and sustaining everything in the cosmos, meaning literally God in all. There you go. So you see what I mean about us not having resolved some of the bigger questions. Just. So, but personally, I'm going to stand on the concept of panentheism. That simply means God in all things, uh, being what Paul describes in his Colossians hymn, where he says, for in him, Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, 
and in him all things hold together. I think this is also why he says in Romans 1.20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Now, we can't read tone, which is always a problem when reading the Bible. But my sense is that this isn't a rebuke, simply an invitation to look up and look around, to see God in the beauty of all that, he's been, that he has created uh, and in what can be described as the cathedral of creation. By now, hopefully, whether you agree with me or not, you realise that I'm pushing hard on the concept that creation is full of diversity, that the hand of the creator is in creation. And then as the pinnacle of creation, we as human beings are diverse. Yeah, I could probably stop there, but I'm not going to. Um, when I use the word diversity, I mean diversity in its broadest sense. I realize that words and language take on a life of their own in our culture and sometimes can be associated with a specific issue. The specifics are included within the bigger picture, but I'm intentionally trying to paint the largest picture possible. The reason for this is simply because it's a very big picture we are looking at. And if we put our blinders on too soon, we will only see part of it. Having established that we're all unique and precious individuals, how then do we fit together in a community and as a society? What would this even look like? Turns out this isn't a new question. It was a subject of Plato's Republic written in 300 BC, exploring what a good and just society would look like and also what roles the individual members would play in it. So this brings us back to where we started with Paul writing an epistle or a sermon uh, to the church in Corinth. To give some context, Paul is writing likely in response to a letter from the church in Corinth asking some questions that they wanted answered. The letter itself um, that they wrote, we don't have. He's writing around 55 AD, so earlier than the gospel accounts were written. He's writing in the context of disharmony and disunity within the church body, and it contains one of Paul's consistent themes. Um, okay, you guys need to get along with each other. Maybe from our own church experience, um, this might sound familiar. It's just as well we got it sorted out over the centuries, right? <laughs> now, Corinth was a Roman colony. Uh, the original city had been destroyed by Rome around 44 BC and had been rebuilt. It was on a major trade route and as a result was a very cosmopolitan society. This was reflected in the church, so they were a diverse bunch uh, with many different people groups reflected amongst them. So this brings us back to our passage. Paul uses the metaphor of a human body to show how the different parts of the community should function together. That their differences are important because they all have different and important roles to play in the function and for the health of the body. They all bring something important. He has shown at the very beginning of the chapter that they are all one body and that everyone is welcome. This is also the message of Paul to the Galatian church where he says this. So in Christ, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, 
neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So the point he's making is that there is only one body in Christ, that all are welcome from all people groups, and that through Jesus, the Gentiles, by which he means the um, everyone who's not Jewish and was previous, previously there, previously excluded, are grafted into Abraham's seed and fully welcome. Within this body, diversity is not only welcome but essential, and all parts of the body are important for health and need to be present and function together, each playing their part. And I think we all know that to be true of our own bodies, that it all needs to be functioning together for its health. Now, what role each person needs to play is a different question. And this is where we can stretch the metaphor too far if we're not careful. I think Paul is making the point that all the parts of the body are equally important, though some may be more visible than others. We should value every part of the body and treat each other with respect. In fact, he says the weaker and less presentable parts of the body are indispensable and should be treated with greater honor. So in the everyday function of a body, there are two muscles that are very important. And this is where I put my medical hat on. They are those that maintain the control of our bowels and our bladder. We only realize this to be true when they're not functioning properly. Up to this point, we may not have given it a second thought. Now, I'm going to leave the metaphor there uh, with that image. Um, but I did have a text conversation with, uh, with Harry just as I was writing. He said, like, what are you doing? And I said, I'm writing on the body of Christ. And I'm trying to figure out who would be the equivalent of the anal sphincter in the body of Christ. <laughs> Am I overthinking things? And uh, to which he said yes. And I thought, yeah. Anyway, I, I didn't come to any conclusions, but I'm going to leave that one with you. Very, very <laughs> and also, you know, if that was my role, the one that I was given, I should probably do it to the best of my ability because it's Sorry. important for everybody else, right? Yeah. Anyway, there it is. Um, <laughs> Sorry about that. That's probably the bit you're going to remember, isn't it? <laughs> Who is it? Anal sphincter in the body of Christ. There it is. Thought for the morning. Um, Paul finishes up 1 Corinthians 12 with a comment about the different roles within the body. And then in the context of his writing about church disharmony and conflict, he launches into his famous 1 Corinthians 13 love passage leading with, and yet I will show you a most excellent way. And then, in, you know, this is the famous passage, you know, now I, about the, um, oh, that's not that bit. There we go. If I speak in tongues of angels and men and have, oh, sorry. If I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging symbol. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud. We know that passage well, we hear it a lot. Um, but it's interesting that it was actually written not for a wedding ceremony. Uh, but for a church in disunity and disharmony. So it appears that context can be very important. This famous love passage often is read at weddings, 
and was written to a church in conflict and disharmony. What better solution to disunity than to suggest that all the diverse parts of the body love and respect each other? He's advocating unity, not uniformity. Maybe this is an encouragement for us to look a little deeper into what we think we know and be a bit more willing to ask each other, help me understand what you are seeing from your viewpoint. That way we'll all grow together in knowledge and unity as well as in love. So as a footnote to this section, we have a letter uh, written to the church in Corinth by Clement, the fourth Bishop of Rome, known as one Clement. It comes from a group of writings known as the Apostolic Fathers. And if you thought that Paul's letter had fixed the problem in Corinth, this one suggests not so much. It was written uh, in 96 AD, so some 40 years after Paul's original. And he says this, um, because of our recent series of unexpected misfortunes and setbacks, my dear friends, we feel there has been some delay in turning our attention to the causes of dispute in your community. We refer particularly to the odious and unholy breach of unity amongst you, which is quite incompatible with God's chosen people, and which a few hot-headed and unruly individuals have inflamed to such a pitch that your venerable and illustrious name, so richly deserving of everyone's affection, has been brought into serious disrepute. I think Paul was probably a little bit kinder. But you get the point. <laughs> um, the problems were still there. Perhaps it's a timely reminder that wherever there are people in community, there is always a potential for disunity mm -hmm. because humans are involved. And this, of course, will apply to us too, to you and me and to our community. So after a long journey, let's end with the promised song because I feel it will help to bring the threads of this talk together in a way that the spoken word often can't. The song is called City on a Hill, and as I said, it was by a band uh, called Casting Crowns. The songwriter, Mark Hall, wrote it from the 1 Corinthians 12 passage, and he says it tells the story of two old men. I don't know why they had to be old, but they were, uh, talking about a city on a hill. Um, this is a metaphor that Jesus uses in the Sermon on the Mount, which could apply to the church in its broadest sense, but also to any community. Mark says of these two men, they're trying to remember what happened to the city on the hill because it's not there anymore. As they weave through the stories, they remember the warriors thought everyone was weak. So they went off and started their own city. The dancers didn't think everyone had enough spirit. So they went off and started their own city. It's an allegory of the factions of the modern church. And I would add, it's an allegory of the church throughout all of history. And the result of predominantly like-minded people often dwelling on non-essentials and personal taste to go in their own direction. So as we listen to the song, see which of these people groups resonates with you and which touches your heart, which best represents who God says you are. It's not an exhaustive list, but I think we can all find ourselves in there somewhere. And I'll go first, just in case you thought I was going to absolve myself for instance i've been a young man and now i'm getting older i've been a warrior and a poet interesting for some of you who know me well i've also been a dancer but we'll leave that one for another day you get the idea dance, 
Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna attempt through Zoom World to listen to a song which, as you know, can be horrible. Um, but what I would ask is just for this, the next three minutes or so, if you would turn your cameras off because it will give Zoom a better chance at this one. Um, and I think because it's um, it's an auditory thing, you don't need to see my face while you listen to someone else anyway. So cameras off, and here we go with questions. Then just as we wrap this one up. How are we doing as a city on a hill? A final word from the songwriter uh, said, the song reminds us that we really do complete each other uh, in the kingdom when we come together. So to me, that sounds a bit like Paul and sounds a lot like Jesus. Here are just a few conclusions. We are one body in Jesus. We're made in his image from a collection of unique parts. All are not just welcome, but essential for the body to function healthily. We need to welcome the parts of the body that look different from us and be curious as to who they are and what we might be missing without them. That's right. My sense is that by living this way, we can embrace unity and not require uniformity because we are different by design. And actually, we function better when we're being who we are and who we're created to be. So Jesus, thank you for this community. Thank you that we're still doing this thing after all these years. Thank you that it looks different now to how it did when we started. And if it didn't, we would probably be in trouble. So Father, I'm incredibly grateful for everyone who's here this morning and i'm just so uh, looking forward to meeting those that we haven't met yet and who you're going to send to us thank you that you made us diverse and that that was your design so father just give us a deeper understanding of what that means and what our role in this body is and let us play it to the best of our ability and desire and Holy Spirit, we, we're going to need your power in us uh, to do things differently and to acknowledge who you really are and who we're meant to be. So we give you our, our, our little church here and uh, just thank you for the privilege of being part of your body mm -hmm. and uh, let us be all that we can possibly be in your name. Amen. Amen. Amen.